I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Welcome to this podcast of The People's Pharmacy. You can find previous podcasts and more information on a range of health topics at peoplespharmacy.com. Mail-order pharmacy services have become big business. They seem convenient, but are they safe in hot weather? This is The People's Pharmacy with Terry and Joe Graydon. The FDA sets strict storage standards for every medicine it approves. A delivery truck could exceed those temperatures. Some medicines are critical for a patient's survival. Anti-cancer drugs, organ transplant medications, and many liquid or injectable products can't tolerate high temperatures. Is anyone enforcing the FDA guidelines on drug storage and shipping? FDA says it's not responsible. Who is? Coming up on The People's Pharmacy, do life-saving medicines lose effectiveness during shipping? In the People's Pharmacy Health Headlines, hypertension is a serious health risk that affects as many as half of American adults. Accurate diagnosis requires proper technique for measuring blood pressure. New research shows that one simple part of the equipment can make a big difference in the results. Research published in JAMA Internal Medicine examined the effects of using a single, standard-size blood pressure cuff to measure blood pressure in 195 adults with a wide range of arm sizes. People with thin arms ended up with a reading lower than their actual blood pressure. In contrast, those with large arms had blood pressure readings substantially higher when measured with the standard cuff compared to a larger cuff. If people who needed an extra-large cuff were measured with a regular-sized cuff, the average blood pressure reading was 144 over 88. When these same individuals were measured with an appropriately sized cuff, the readings averaged 125 over 79. The wrong size blood pressure cuff for such individuals could lead to unnecessary treatment and more adverse drug reactions. The authors concluded, using a regular blood pressure cuff size for all individuals, regardless of arm size, resulted in strikingly inaccurate blood pressure readings with an automated device. A renewed emphasis on individualized blood pressure cuff selection is warranted, particularly in individuals with larger arm sizes. One of the hottest drugs in the pharmacy these days is semaglutide. This self-injected medication has been approved for the treatment of type 2 diabetes under the name Ozempic and for weight loss in obese patients under the name Wegovy. This week, the company announced the results of a large phase 3 clinical trial. Over 17,000 overweight or obese people who'd been diagnosed with cardiovascular disease participated in this multi-year study. Wegovy reduced the likelihood of cardiovascular deaths, non-fatal heart attacks, or non-fatal strokes by 20% compared to placebo. That relative risk reduction was statistically significant. We're awaiting further data to determine the absolute risk reduction when it comes to cardiovascular risk factors and overall mortality. If insurance does not cover the cost of Wegovy, the price could be over $1,300 per month. Chronic liver disease and consequent liver cancer are important causes of death. 
Data from nearly 99,000 postmenopausal women show that consuming sugar-sweetened beverages on a regular basis contributes to the risk for liver cancer and dying of liver disease. These participants in the Women's Health Initiative provided more than 20 years of follow-up data with periodic updates on their dietary habits. Compared to women who drank fewer than three sugar-sweetened beverages a month, those who had at least one a day were far more likely to develop liver cancer or die from chronic liver disease. Consumption of artificially sweetened drinks did not have the same outcomes. What's the best kind of exercise to reduce all-cause or cancer mortality? An international group of investigators analyzed data from the U.S. National Health Interview Survey. More than 500,000 adults participated in this research, and the volunteers were followed for a median of 10 years. The authors were especially interested in different kinds of activity, moderate aerobic physical activity, vigorous aerobic physical activity, and muscle strengthening activity. They wanted to know about the optimal combination. What they learned from half a million people is that balanced amounts of moderate and vigorous aerobic activity, along with a comparable amount of muscle strengthening exercise, reduced people's risk of dying during the 10 years of follow-up. The greatest reduction in risk of dying from any cause was seen in people who did up to 75 minutes of moderate activity a week, 150 minutes of vigorous activity, and at least two muscle-strengthening sessions each week. And that's the health news from the People's Pharmacy this week. Welcome to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Terry Graydon. And I'm Joe Graydon. When you swallow your pills, do you assume that they'll work as expected? Most people do, but there are so many weak links in the chain that connects the drug manufacturer to the pharmacy and ultimately to the patient that medicines may lose their effectiveness along the way. We've heard from many people who get their medications through the mail. When they take them out of the mailbox, the package may be warm or even hot. How does that impact drug effectiveness? The Food and Drug Administration has very strict guidelines for the storage and transport of prescription drugs. Most need to be held at room temperature. For example, the most widely prescribed drug in America is atorvastatin. This cholesterol-lowering medication is supposed to be stored between 68 and 77 degrees Fahrenheit. Another commonly prescribed drug is Synthroid, or levothyroxine. It, too, is supposed to be stored between 68 and 77 degrees Fahrenheit, with excursions permitted. That means, for brief periods of time, it could get as cool as 59 or as warm as 86 degrees without damage. It does need to be protected from humidity and light. What happens, though, when critical medications get exposed to excessive heat or cold? To find out, we're talking with Loretta Bosing. 
she founded Unite for Safe Medications after a series of events led to Loretta's son being unable to access his medications safely. She's an expert on the unregulated temperature extremes in mail-order pharmacy. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy, Loretta Bosing. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you for joining us. Loretta, you have an amazing story to tell. Let's begin with your son. What happened? So my son had a life-saving liver transplant at the age of two. Uh, He received a a liver from a three-year-old little girl. Uh, So his life now will forever depend on the potency and effectiveness of chemotherapy or immunosuppression medications every 12 hours. Uh, That will help prevent his body's immune system from waking up and fighting off his transplanted uh, liver. So it started with the flu. I'll just, I'll never forget the day that the nurse is standing outside of the ICU and she had told us, you know, your, your child's going to be placed on the ventilator. And at that moment you lose, you know, hope for a moment. But then she said, you know, we can get him on the transplant list, but you have to guarantee that you will agree to give him medications every 12 hours. Um, And that was really the start, you know, of, my son's life relying on medications and uncovering some issues with the pharmaceutical supply chain. So tell us what happened after he, he underwent surgery. He has a new liver. He has to have the medication every 12 hours in the hospital. They give it to him every 12 hours. When you take him home, what happens? So I decided to try Millwater Pharmacy. Uh, They delivered his liquid oral transplant medications and nothing but a bottle it was a uh, 102 degree day here in Missouri. And I thought about how hot the bottle was, but, and, and it didn't feel right. Uh, like my mother's instinct was screaming at me, but I thought there's no way that they would leave this issue unregulated. Surely someone's making sure that it was safe. But two weeks later, we would end up in the hospital and I would be hearing that my son's liver transplant uh, was rejecting, his body started rejecting, and they couldn't even verify that he had medications in his blood system. And they questioned, Lord, are you giving him his meds? I'm like, yes, I am. But at that moment, they're also telling me that they're going to have to give him harsher chemo medications. And I thought about how hot that bottle was. And I I really thought it could have been from the, the medication. So I promised myself I'm never going to use Melwater Pharmacy unless I could prove that it was safe. But in 2018, like so many others, we were forced to Melwater Pharmacy. So what have you learned in the interim yes. about the ways in which medications are shipped? So what I found out in 2018 when they forced us, you know, I promised myself that I would ensure that it was safe, is that mail-order pharmacy, when it comes to temperatures, the issue is left unregulated. And as a parent, as a, as a patient and caregiver, I just feel like more need to be made aware of this issue. Uh, because when I would call the mail-order pharmacy, uh, the first time I begged for an ice pack because I knew that the trucks were, were hot at that point. I actually communicated with a petitioner of UP, for UPS trucks to get the back of their trucks air conditioned. Those trucks can reach 120 to 170 degrees. So I would question the Melwater pharmacy after his medication would ar- arrive again on a hot day without an ice pack. 
Like, why didn't you ship it with an ice pack? And they mentioned, well, humidity could build up in the bottle and that could cause the medications to break down further. And I'm like, well, why did you, you know, say that you would give me an ice pack to begin with? Eventually they would say that they could not control UPS when I questioned the hot trucks. Uh, they would, I, I would contact uh, the ma- manufacturer who performs the testing and they said to discard my son's drugs. I contacted the FDA, which my surprise, that's who I would think uh, would regulate the issue. But the FDA directed me to the state boards of pharmacy and I would file a complaint with the state board of pharmacy and, and, backing up a minute to the FDA, when I called the FDA, they said, Oh, yeah, we get this, this complaint all the time, every summer and every winter from patients. And at that moment, I was so angry, because I'm like, how could they let such an important issue go unregulated? And I would file the complaint with the State Board of Pharmacy. I just would keep uncovering, you know, everyone telling me the same thing. This is a common complaint. But it's left unregulated, basically. So basically, everybody is saying it's not our problem. The mail order pharmacy folks are saying, well, it's not really our problem. The people who are maintaining the trucks and shipping, you know, carrying the products, not our problem. FDA, not our problem. What about the state boards of pharmacy? Now, every state has a board of pharmacy that's responsible for what exactly? And why aren't they taking responsibility? Great question. And uh, so when I filed the complaint with the Board of Pharmacy, I expected them to take action. And when they didn't, they basically said, you know, we, we di- we're we not going to take further action against this pharmacy. And I was questioning why. They said, we'll bring this up on future NABP meetings, which is the National Association of Boards of Pharmacy. When I looked at my board members, I unfortunately saw what was a grave concern. There are massive conflicts of interest on the boards of pharmacy. So you look at who's on my board of pharmacy. Many of them are from the uh, pharmacy benefit managers, the largest three being OptumRx, Express Scripts, CVS Caremark or their affiliates, and even the pharmacists there who are sitting in those seats, a lot of them get 80% of their reimbursements for their drugs from what's called the pharmacy benefit managers that also own these mail-order pharmacies. So I think it's extremely hard for these boards of pharmacy to properly regulate this issue. Recently, even at my own state board of pharmacy, a board member stated, you know, Loretta, how are we supposed to regulate this issue um, when once the medication leaves the Miller pharmacy, we don't really, you know, regulate the trucks. So it's just a major issue. Now, Loretta, you've mentioned pharmacy benefit managers, and I think some people have heard the term, but what do these organizations do, actually? So pharmacy benefit managers, they manage pharmacy benefits. Uh, They help build the formulary, which is a list of medications covered. Um, They have a major influence on where patients can get their medications billed. In our case, they were directing us to use their own mail order pharmacy. They are supposed to help bring down drug costs, but there's a lot of evidence showing that they're not doing that, uh, even as they're steering to their own pharmacies. 
Loretta, this is a really scary scenario that you have presented to us. First of all, I think our listeners want to know, how is your son doing today and how are you managing his medications? Because as you point out, having had a liver transplant, he has to take medicine every 12 hours in order to prevent rejection of that organ. So what's going on? So actually, my son was doing well up until last week. We did get some bad news that his labs were elevated, meaning his liver transplant uh, labs that they check regularly were elevated. And that was due to COVID. So um, at least that's what they believe. We'll hopefully see his numbers go down over the next couple months, they said. So, you know, for the most part, he's doing a lot better since we've been able to use the local pharmacy. And that's only due to my advocacy. We would not have won uh, the opportunity to get coverage of our son's life-saving medications locally without the media getting involved. Uh, so, you know, my son right now is doing great, but I just hope that I can keep him healthy. And, you know, when I travel to state boards of pharmacy, I'm scheduled to travel to Texas next week. Uh, they're going to be passing over the second state, hopefully, to pass regulations uh, for temperatures by mail. Uh, Arizona the following week, but with his condition, if it deteriorates, I don't know if I'll be able to to be there. You're listening to Loretta Bosing, who founded Unite for Safe Medications after a series of events led to Loretta's son being exposed to ineffective immune-suppressing medication. She's an expert on the unregulated temperature extremes in mail-order pharmacy. Her website is uniteforsafemeds.com. After the break, we'll find out how Loretta managed to get her son's medicine locally for a while. But what did she do when the company that managed the prescription wouldn't let her pick it up at the hospital pharmacy? Millions of people may be taking medications that have not been kept within the temperature range that the FDA specifies. Patients could do everything right and still have problems with medicines that were exposed to excessive temperatures in transit. Why don't shippers use temperature sensors in their packaging? At least that way you'd know if there'd been a problem with the medicine. High-tech drugs like monoclonal antibodies may be even more vulnerable to heat than ordinary pills. You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon. This podcast is made possible in part by Cocovia, backed by 20 years of scientific research and the maker of the most proven and concentrated flavanol extract in the market today, CocoPro Cocoa Extract. Cocoa flavanols are among the most studied plant-based bioactives today and are clinically proven to promote cardiovascular and brain health for the long term, supporting a strong heart and better memory. Get 15% off your order of any Cocovia product by using the discount code PPOD15. Learn more at Cocovia and remember that discount code is PPOD15. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. 
Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Terry Graydon. And I'm Joe Graydon. The People's Pharmacy is made possible in part by Cocovia Dietary Supplements. Cocovia Memory and Focus is a unique formula made with a special blend of ingredients that work together to promote attention and support long-term memory. It supports five areas of brain performance, all in one capsule. More information is available at cocovia.com. Today, we're talking about how your medicine gets from the manufacturer to the pharmacy and ultimately to your medicine cabinet. What can go wrong? And how could that affect your health? You might think that the Food and Drug Administration would be concerned about the way in which the medications are stored and shipped. The agency has very strict guidelines that it establishes for every medication that it approves. But it doesn't seem concerned about enforcing the guidelines and keeping the medications within its narrow range of temperatures. How does that affect patients' health? Mail-order pharmacies could put temperature sensors in every package they ship. These inexpensive monitors could go a long way towards establishing if a drug has been exposed to excessive heat or cold. They're used for frozen food products, vaccines, blood, and diagnostics. Why not your medicines? We're talking with Loretta Bosing. She founded Unite for Safe Medications after a series of events led to her son being given medications that had not been shipped under temperature control. She's an expert on the unregulated temperature extremes in mail-order pharmacy. Loretta, we're certainly concerned about your son, and we hope that he will make a, a wonderful recovery You mentioned that you're no longer buying the medicine by mail order. How do you get it, and how did you arrange that? So prior, we were using the hospital pharmacy. And then after COVID started, we wanted to try the independent pharmacy. Our independent pharmacy, through this, I learned that independent pharmacies offer often pre-delivery and temperature-controlled vehicles. And that is really the safest way for medications to be delivered. So I knew that's what I needed. And I started a petition with that has 220,000 supporters. And I would find that independents really offer some of the best services. So I first tried to appeal, my physician tried to appeal for us to be able to get the medications locally. It was denied. Um, so then I let them know that I would be contacting the media. And I did. I felt every complaint. And then I got the media involved. Uh, Once the media was involved, like I said, they did let us use the local pharmacy. Anytime that there's insurance changes, though, I have to fight again in that same way and hope that I will be granted mercy to be able to protect my son's life-saving medications. Well, Loretta, you have been an activist when it comes to protecting your family and also interacting with boards of pharmacy and the FDA and and the, the truckers. But there are tens of millions of people around this country who rely on mail-order medicine. We met a woman not too long ago who was getting a medication for breast cancer, and she was saying... This medication is coming at over 100 degrees because the truck is so hot in the summer. And I'm worried that it may not work to prevent a recurrence of breast cancer. 
there are all kinds of folks out there who are taking critical medications that may not sustain temperatures of 120, 150 degrees for hours waiting to be delivered. And then wait a minute, they end up in the mailbox. And we met an engineer several years ago, Terry. What was his story? Well, he actually kept records of his mailbox temperature in Arizona. And these temperatures were extremely high, over 100 degrees for most of the day during a good part of the summer. Wow. So, Loretta, what about all those other people, those tens of millions of people who are getting medications that are out of the specifications that the FDA requires? It's a concern. You know, whenever I spoke at the Oklahoma Board of Pharmacy, which was the first state in the nation to really pass some regulations with some teeth in it. And the students there actually had mentioned that 80% of medications are reaching outside of those safe guidelines by the FDA, as you had mentioned. Uh, And the patients aren't being warned that when their condition worsens, that it could be from the storage of their medications. You know, the doctors are not being warned. Uh, But there's some of us, a small handful of us that's figured it out, Whenever we end up in the hospital and they get the exact same medication and it's not, you know, exposed to the extreme temperatures as long and the medication works. Well, too often the blame is placed on the patient. Oh, the patient must have left the medicine in uh, the glove box of the car while they went grocery shopping. Oh, the patient must have stored the medication wrong, putting it in the bathroom where it gets uh, damaged by heat and humidity. Oh, the patient must have done this or that wrong. But what you're telling us is that the patient could do everything right and the medication still could have been delivered in a state that is undesirable because it would have spent too long at very high temperatures. Absolutely. And, you know, with my son, I did everything right as his mother, as, you know, I was supposed to do. And recently at a board of pharmacy meeting, I kind of felt like patients were kind of being attacked in that way, like being told they should be responsible when we're not even choosing this for our children. You know, patients are choosing this for themselves. One board member who has ties to AARP had asked, you know, do don't you get tracking? And I'm thinking, yes, we get tracking, but tracking is obviously not going to tell us how high of a temperature that medication was exposed to and whether or not it's safe to take. There actually are devices that a shipper could put in the packaging that would tell you whether or not the you know, the medicine in the package had exceeded us a, uh, a safe temperature. But and they're not very expensive. You know what? They're 75 cents, a dollar, a dollar fifty per little device. But they don't do it. I wonder why not. Actually, our organization had performed a study as well as, you know, the students as well. And in, in Oklahoma, I believe uh, some students in Utah had also performed a study showing that you know, these most medications are reaching extremely high temperatures. I believe that the reason why these molar pharmacies won't use the sensors is not because of the cost. Like you mentioned, it's extremely, uh, I mean, cost efficient, below a dollar, just a few cents. 
But if they did put those on packages, patients would be alarmed at what they would find. Most of those, when we shipped throughout the summer, came back red, showing that they had been exposed to extreme temperatures. And we also sent them with data loggers that tracked the temperatures throughout the the shipping. And the data loggers also showed none of them were within an acceptable, what's called mean kinetic temperature, uh, which is a measurement that USP often uses, you know, to, to say that medications shouldn't reach above a certain mean kinetic temperature during transit. So none of those came back within a safe temperature or within a, a safe mean kinetic uh, temperature range. Whoa, wait a minute. Loretta, it sounds like you actually conducted your own experiment. Can you describe it in a little more detail, please? Yes. So uh, since I have the petition, I decided to reach out to just patients across our nation that supported us and just ask them if they would be willing to receive a data logger and a temperature sensor by mail and track, you know, how long it sat in their mailbox, uh, what time it was delivered. And all the way throughout the transit, we were able to track the uh, temperature of the medication. So it just, it, it was extremely interesting to see the temperature fluctuations. And here in Missouri, you know, seeing that it's not outside the norm to get those trucks over 120 degrees uh, on hot days. Also, I reached out to temp time at the time, I think now it's called Zebra Technologies that makes the temperature sensors. And they donated about 100 temperature sensors for us to use. So it was extremely uh, interesting. You know, it wasn't that it, it wasn't a lot of money to perform that study, but it was extremely truth telling as far as, you know, what temperatures our medications are being exposed to. Well, you know, I, I think if we were to suggest that a candy maker could ship chocolate to Missouri or Arizona or where we are in North Carolina in the summertime, they'd look at you like you were absolutely crazy. Or for that matter, perhaps somebody in Alaska catching fish and saying, oh yeah, I'd like to order some salmon, please. Have it shipped by UPS or USPS or FedEx, and, you know, you don't need to put any ice in there. And everybody would go, are you out of your mind? You can't ship chocolate. You can't ship fish in the summer in a standard delivery truck. And yet what you're telling us is that pharmacy mail order services are doing this every day. Every day. Sending to tens of thousands of people every day. And we now have some very sophisticated medications. We have what we call monoclonal antibodies, biologic products. And I'm guessing that they may not do well at 130 or 140 degrees for hours. Definitely not. And in the Oklahoma students' uh, study, they even showed with ice packs and cooler that those medications can reach up to 90 degrees. And those are many of the medications like you had just mentioned that may need, you know, even cooler temperatures than room temperature. Uh, you know, they may try with the cooler, the medications that need to be kept cooler, but they don't even try with room temperature medications, even if they're delicate liquid oral children's transplant medications. So 
it it's a major issue. You look at, you know, states like Arizona. I mean, they've had such extreme high temperatures. And we had a patient from Arizona that recently stated, I didn't want my medications in the mailbox. So I had them shipped to the local CVS pharmacy and they still arrived there melted. Because they were getting shipped with the same shipping technology. What? Yes, still being shipped most likely in only a bag and without any protection from the extreme heat. And that's, I really uncovered that it's not just the Millwater pharmacies, that the pharmacies getting medications, they're not always protected either. Um, The Oklahoma Board of Pharmacy, when I spoke there, there was also a lobbyist from CVS that had spoke. And during the meeting, she said, well, we also get medications that are hot to touch. And she was speaking against the regulations. And she said, so if we're getting medications that are hot to touch, how are we supposed to be able to tell the pharmacist not to ship them out the same way? So I was alarmed that, you know, she was so, you know, vocal about that. And it was just to be accepted, which the board didn't accept it. One of the members said, do you have policies and procedures in place for when you're receiving these hot medications. But that's also an issue that I've uncovered and it's happening. You know, even in my son's case, they said, well, we could ship it to the local pharmacy for you. And I said, well, how will it be shipped? And they said the same way. And I said, I can't do that. Would you tell us just a little bit about this new legislation in Oklahoma, the regulations that you mentioned Oklahoma being the first state in the nation that's actually addressing this problem. And then we want to talk about your organization a little bit. Thank you. Yes, so Oklahoma was one of the first to really try to uh, start requiring packaging that would ensure the safe delivery of medications. So they're going to require that, at least in the policies and through, you know, showing a a proper packout of medications that the meltwater pharmacies will be able to deliver a safe package. By doing that, there were several that opposed it. You, you of course, had, uh, like I mentioned, the large pharmacies. You had Express Scripts that actually threatened to sue the board. You had the lobbyists for the PBMs there. U.S. Chamber, even the Rural Letter Carriers Association uh, had spoke against it. And it's hard to understand why, because, I mean, it's such a common sense issue that everyone you would think would be able to support. And I'm not sure, you know, why I was caught off guard by them looking further into the Rural Letter um, Carrier Association and USPS. I noticed that on USPS's board, There are um, people from Cigna. There are members from Cigna on the USPS board. There's actually two of them. I'm not sure if they are both uh, still on the Cigna board, but I know that they were, you know, as of just a couple years ago. So there's a possibility that there's a conflict of interest operating there. Absolutely. That's my concern. Would you tell us, please, Loretta, about uh, your organization, Unite for Safe Medications? Yes, I started Unite for Safe Medications, and we really hope to um, save lives by improving the quality, the access, and safety of pharmaceutical care. That is my focus every day. And the reason why I started it is because I've seen that there are so many people 
and organizations that know about issues such as these, that's been talking about them for 10 to 20 years, but they're not, it's, it's just like, we're not getting anywhere. And my goal was to hopefully unite us together and to be able to work together and help one another gain more ground on these efforts because, you know, these issues are the basics of pharmaceutical care, you know, safe temperature storage, ensuring that our medications aren't in these trucks for days or left in mailboxes without warning patients that their lives are at risk. These are issues most people would agree on. It shouldn't be this hard. So I, my goal is to hopefully be successful. You know, we are working with many patients across our nation. As I find a patient that's willing to attend a board meeting with me, I'm showing up there with them. So I believe together that we're going to create change and we're going to move this issue forward. And hopefully it's the start of medications really being stored safely throughout the supply chain. You're listening to Loretta Bosing, who founded Unite for Safe Medications. She was motivated to do that after her baby son suffered a serious setback as a result of his medication losing its potency during shipping. She's an expert on the unregulated temperature extremes in mail-order pharmacy. You know, Terry, several years ago, a medication, a very popular drug called Zantac, renitidine for heartburn, got pulled off the market because it was contaminated with nitrosamines. And what the FDA said was, well, if it was left a long time, especially at higher temperatures, that could have contributed to the formation of this potential cancer-forming chemical. So it turns out that storage and shipping are really important. But on the other hand, the FDA doesn't do anything about it. No, and I just don't get it. They have these very strict guidelines. Why aren't they enforcing the rules? Well, we do need to take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk about why the FDA or the USP, United States Pharmacopeia, or state boards of pharmacy haven't done more about the problem of shipping medicines and having them treated badly en route. What does the FDA recommend for most medicines in terms of temperature for storage? We'll hear about other patients who have had problems with medicines damaged during shipping, and we'll find out what our listeners can do about this very serious problem. You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon. This podcast is made possible in part by Gaia Herbs. For more than 30 years, Gaia Herbs has nurtured the connection between people and plants to deliver nature's vitality. Their full-spectrum formulas are designed to provide an herb's complete array of beneficial compounds with nothing artificial to get in the way. Learn more at GaiaHerbs.com. That's G-A-I-A Herbs. Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. The People's Pharmacy is brought to you in part by Cocovia Dietary Supplements. Cocoflavanol supplements that support cognitive and cardiovascular health made with a concentrated flavanol extract, 
More information at cocovia.com. When COVID vaccines were first developed, we heard a lot about the importance of keeping them super cold. Why isn't there a similar urgency around other medications that are supposed to be kept at room temperature? Our guest is Loretta Bosing. She founded Unite for Safe Medications after a series of events led to Loretta's son being unable to access his medication safely. She's an expert on the unregulated temperature extremes in mail-order pharmacy. Loretta, I am still astonished that no one is stepping forward to take responsibility. And when I say no one, I mean we're not getting pharmacy associations, and there are a number of them. Pharmacists should be absolutely incensed about this problem. Boards of pharmacy that are responsible for overseeing each state should be totally committed to your project and to your cause. Where's the USP, the United States Pharmacopeia? Where's the Food and Drug Administration? After all, we know that both the Food and Drug Administration and the USP have looked at issues of storage temperature and what happens to medications that exceed safe temperature storage. And let's not forget the winter. I mean, we're focusing on high temperatures, but low temperatures are also a problem for some medications. And certainly in Minnesota, in February... It gets really cold. So if your medicine is sitting in the mailbox for four hours at sub-freezing temperatures, that may not be good for it. So where is everybody, Loretta? Why aren't they up in arms like you are? Exactly where I am just so upset that this issue has you know, been able to go on for so long because so many are turning their heads and their backs on the patients that they're supposed to protect. Uh, whenever the uh, Board of Pharmacy member said, well, how are we supposed to regulate this issue when we don't regulate the trucks? No, but you can regulate how they're shipped and delivered. You know, you can at least start making the movement in the right direction to ensuring that those medications are stored safely instead of just turning your backs on us and saying that you can't help. And I know that sounds harsh, but it's true. And it's not just the state boards of pharmacy. It is the FDA because the FDA is aware that part of the supply chain is also a problem. The wholesalers shipping to the pharmacies in the same non-temperature controlled vehicles, that should have never been allowed, especially not in 2023, where we do have the, the technology. There is moral injury that's happening among our pharmacists today because of this issue. There are pharmacists that work in these motor pharmacies, as well as pharmacists that are getting these hot medications that are just saying that they know this is a problem, but if they speak out, they're afraid they might lose their job. They might upset their wholesaler. You know, when I spoke to NBC, I tried to get some of them to speak to NBC. They were afraid of retaliation. So from the, a lot of the pharmacists are afraid of retaliation. They're, they know though that this is not right and they want to do something about it. But the associations get so much money. When you look at both the state boards of pharmacy and, you know, some of the large pharmacy associations look at who they get their money from. And you'll see it's from these pharmacies, it's from these wholesalers that are not shipping properly. Now, Loretta, the Food and Drug Administration issues guidance for virtually every medication that is approved by the FDA. 
and they have what they call their temperature range. And then they have something called excursions. So it's like how much variability they allow, both in storage and in transport or shipping. Can you give us some sense of what normal would be for most medicines? In a recent response from the FDA, we were told that medication should not exceed 86 degrees. FDA knows that these Milwater pharmacies are not even coming close to adhering to that 86 degree mark, but they direct us to the boards of pharmacy. And they even have stated that if pharmacies are receiving you know, these medications in an unsafe way, that they should be reporting this to the FDA's MedWatch. And, you know, we can also report to the state boards of pharmacy, but the FDA just seems to be kind of brushing off the problem and not taking it seriously when they know that our medications aren't being stored properly. USP, though, I will say USP showed up in Oklahoma and they did, you know, provide guidance to the board and the temperature committee that was formed there uh, to help with the new regulation. And USP did, you know, try to help explain, you know, define, uh, like, for example, the mean kinetic temperature and, you know, how the milliliter pharmacies can ensure safe storage of medications. But the longer that they allow this to go on, it's just especially with the temperatures, you know, increasing and just uh, more patients being forced to mill at a pharmacy, the, the lives at risk are, are massive. So we've been focusing primarily on how medicines get from, let's just say, wholesalers to pharmacies or, or through mail order pharmacies to patients. But there are a couple of other areas that I'd like you to address. First of all, I've long wondered about pharmaceutical sales representatives. Now, these are people who go and visit doctor's offices all across the country, and they frequently leave free samples for the doctors to give to their patients. And I'm wondering, well, if a sales representative of a pharmaceutical company leaves the medicine in the trunk of the car or, or even in the car itself, perhaps in a safe or some very uh, protected place, but they go into the doctor's office and they have to wait sometimes, not five minutes, not 15 minutes, but sometimes a half an hour or an hour to see the doctor. I'm just wondering, do, do they leave the car running with the air conditioning on? And if the medicines are in the trunk, that won't help very much. So what about all those samples that are waiting to be distributed to doctor's offices all across the country? Is that a problem? That's number one. But number two, which alarms me perhaps even more, is how medicines get from where the chemicals are manufactured, what we call the API, the um, active, active pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical ingredient. ingredient, the API is the active pharmaceutical ingredient, maybe in China, and then it has to get to India or some other country where it's converted into a final dosage form, put into a pill, and then it has to get from India to a, to a shipping place, maybe a dock or an airport, then it has to be shipped to the United States, then it has to be 
perhaps wait for customs to look it over and, and monitor it, make sure it's what it's supposed to be. And then it has to get from that port of entry to some distribution spot. So th there are a lot of places along this chain of custody where temperatures may not be maintained within the narrow limits that the Food and Drug Administration requires. This is so true and a great discussion because that was my concern too. Well, if, if they're letting the ball drop here, where else are they failing us? You know, where else in the supply chain are they not looking at this issue seriously? And uh, I can, I've spoken to, you know, some of the sales reps who were trying to introduce like um, new medications and, you know, they, they spoke to me about uh, the testing when medications are in trials, how carefully they're packaged and, you know, they make sure that there's a temperature sensor. And if it's uh, even questionable, if that medication could be unsafe, it is tossed out during the trial and not used. And all of that critical importance of safe storage of medications, once the drug comes to market, it feels like it's just, they, no one cares anymore. I mean, it, it seems like the FDA doesn't seem to put as much serious on the issue. I, I don't believe that, you know, some drug manufacturers, I know, you know, that they are shipping these medications in ways that are not safe, uh, whether they're using like a third party mail order pharmacy to uh, evade some of the stricter rules with the FDA. There's issues with um, that I've uncovered, you know, uh, through uh, connecting with an expert witness that takes cases for uh, medications that's been received uh, that's been damaged uh, from wholesalers. So I know that it's an issue throughout the supply chain and absolutely the FDA can do better. Can you share with us any other stories? You, you've, you've explained what happened to your son but in the course of your research and investigation into this potential problem, have you met any other patients or families that have had problems with um, the shipping of their medicines? Sadly, thousands. I was so overwhelmed by the response that I received when I first started. There were days when it was just hard. It was hard to not just lay in my bed and tears rolled down my face after hearing some of the horror stories. Um, there was a patient, you had mentioned freezing medications. That is absolutely a problem, especially with insulin. And a lot of insulin, you know, is being shipped with the ice packs and coolers. But there was a patient in Michigan who had a drug that was shipped from uh, Texas. So think about, you know, Texas is, is, can still be extremely hot in November. They may put eight ice packs in a package in Texas in November. But when you ship that medication to Michigan, who's may already be experiencing freezing temperatures, it's too much. And that insulin freezes. And this patient was said, you know, I, I could have had a stroke, I could have uh, died. And it's a serious issue. And from there, she started doing what she could to pick up her medications at a local pharmacy. But sadly, some of these patients would have to pay full price. There was a patient who who was starving to death, a child. And this was covered by an NBC uh, news article as well. But I have connected with this mother and uh, sadly, her child's enzymes that she said, you know, when I 
went to the doctor, they told me never leave these in the car because they could, they could be not effective. And she was so careful not to do that. But when she used her mail order pharmacy, they would ship usually five days. And she knew that the medications were hot. And once they got to the hospital again, they get medications that haven't been exposed to these extreme temperatures. The medications began working and her daughter's life was saved. So um, that's, that's just a couple. There's so many more. Uh, there's a lot of patients that question it. They don't know if the medications that they're getting are effective and they're concerned that it's because of the way that they're being shipped or left in the mailboxes or sometimes even in the sun, direct sunlight on their porches. Can you tell us about Pat, please? Yes. So Pat is from Arizona and she is a retired nurse. And Pat was the patient I spoke of earlier who said that she asked them to ship the medications to her local CVS pharmacy. And she would find out that this was an issue when her nurse had told her, make sure that you check out the bottle when you're at the counter. Because if, if they're at all like melted or sticking together, then you want to ask for a new bottle. And she's like, what? You know, how could that possibly happen or be an issue? And sure enough, the medication comes and the pills are stuck together. And she had the pharmacist open it at the counter and she said, I I'm, can't take this. I mean, these are medications that her life depends on. And if they're not working, her life will absolutely be cut short. So she asked for another refill. Loretta, what can our listeners do to help you and everyone else with this problem? The number one thing that people can do is to start getting involved with this issue. You know, start learning about it, start showing up at board meetings demanding that patients are protected. Start talking to legislators. I do believe this needs to be um, some, there needs to be change at the federal level due to the massive conflicts of interest at the state boards. And also the issue is not just with milliliter pharmacies, it's the entire supply chain. My goal is to, you know, obviously I'm just a mom from Missouri who is also like an, a very, I, I want to be the advocate and the leader in this way because I'm not going to, I can't allow myself not to be. So I also am realistic in knowing that I can't do this by myself. And since we don't have the help of the large associations, we're going to have to find another way. So my hope is to start getting these patients who have had these issues to be more vocal and unite with us and create change together. But it does make me sad. You know, people like me, I'm nervous about traveling to Texas and to Arizona. And with Wesley's condition, I heard that there might be an uptick in COVID cases. So if I go, am I going to risk his life by going and, you know, risking getting COVID and bringing it home, you know, um, when he sure don't, doesn't need that right now. So it's not fair to leave this to us, I feel like, you know, but if we have no other option, then, you know, we're going to do it however we feel like we can. And just appreciate any help from those that do support. I do know that there are some that do support us and we just appreciate them so much. So Loretta, before we sign off, 
how can people contact you or your organization? Our contact information is on our website, uniteforsafemeds.com. Um, the email to reach me is loretta at uniteforsafemeds.com. Additionally, our phone number is also on the website, so you can um, contact us there as well. That number is 877-474-9777. Loretta Bosing, thank you ever so much for your hard work with Unite for Self Medications and for talking with us on the People's Pharmacy today. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate all the hard work that you've done on this issue as well. You've been listening to Loretta Bosing, who founded Unite for Safe Medications after her son suffered from being given a medication that had not been handled properly. She's an expert on the unregulated temperature extremes in mail-order pharmacy. Her website is uniteforsafemeds.com, and the number is 877-474-9777. That number Lynn Siegel produced today's show, Al Wodarski engineered, Dave Graydon edits our interviews, B.J. Lederman composed our theme music. This show is a co-production of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC, with The People's Pharmacy. The People's Pharmacy is made possible in part by Coco Via Dietary Supplements. Coco Via Cardio Health is offered in both capsule and powder formats, with each serving containing 500 milligrams of cocoa flavanols to support heart health. More information at cocovia.com. Today's show is number 1,351. You can find it online at peoplespharmacy.com. That's where you can share your comments about today's interview. Have you ever experienced hot medicines in your mailbox during the summer? What about cold pharmaceuticals in the winter? Have you ever doubted the efficacy of your medications? We'd love to learn about your story. Please visit show 1351 at peoplespharmacy.com to tell us about it. Our interviews are available through your favorite podcast provider. You'll find the show on our website on Monday morning. At peoplespharmacy.com, you can sign up for our free online newsletter and get the latest news about important health stories. When you subscribe, you also get regular access to information about our weekly podcast. You can find out ahead of time what topics we'll be covering. In Durham, North Carolina, I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Thank you for listening. Please join us again next week. Thank you for listening to the People's Pharmacy Podcast. It's an honor and a pleasure to bring you our award-winning program week in and week out. But producing and distributing this show as a free podcast takes time and costs money. If you like what we do and you'd like to help us continue to produce high-quality, independent healthcare journalism, please consider chipping in. All you have to do is go to peoplespharmacy.com slash donate. Whether it's just one time or a monthly donation, you can be part of the team that makes this show possible. Thank you for your continued loyalty and support. We couldn't make our show without you.